my own thought hearing that word because in those moments of like panic and desperation, that is not my go-to mindset. I'm not one to trust. I want the plan. And so I, I received this word, and as soon as I heard it, I knew it was not just for this specific situation that I was praying about, but it kind of just echoed in my heart, and I knew that this was the word that God was speaking over my year. And if I'm being really honest with you, I was a little disappointed that this was the word that God gave me because I've been a Christian since I was a pretty little girl and I was, I've tried to live my life for Jesus. And so when I was praying for this word, I was kind of thinking he would give me something that was like a little more glamorous or something that like seemed like something a more mature Christian would need to work on. And I laugh about that now because trust in theory is a very basic fundamental uh, idea, but trust in action is an entirely different concept. And over the last year, God has has brought our family into this journey that has required us to trust and therefore obey him like we've never had to before. And so that's kind of the idea that I want to bring to this message today is that God brings us to these moments where we have to trust and obey him and he wants to do something great with our lives. And when we become Christians, we enter into a relationship with Jesus through trust. So we are familiar with what that looks like. But And and when we enter into that relationship with Jesus, we're given a promise of heaven. But for most of us, the moment of salvation and the moment we enter heaven, there's some life to be lived in between, right? There's stuff to be done. And I believe that God throughout this life between salvation and the moment we enter heaven, he is continuously extending this invitation to us to trust and obey him and trust and obey him and trust and obey him. And I think it's this gift that he gives us to be able to partner with him, to fulfill his purpose for our life, to be a part of his story, which is incredible. But I also think he gives us these trust and obey moments because It's in those moments that he reveals himself to us in ways that he never has before. It's in those moments that we experience him in ways that we never have before. And so that's kind of the heart behind this message. What do we do when we get to these trust and obey moments? How can we make the most of them? And the Bible is full of examples of people who um, have these trust and obey moments. And some of them, they do it impeccably. And some of them, they have major failures. And they're the examples of what not to do. I want to look at one story today that kind of falls in the middle there. It's found in Matthew 14. You can turn in your Bibles or your phone app. Uh, It'll also be on the screen behind us. But it's the story of Jesus walking on the water, and then he extends the invitation for Peter to do the same. And if you've grown up in the church, you've heard approximately 722 sermons about (laughs) this particular story. And even if you didn't grow up in the church, chances are you've heard the story because it's it's that incredible. It's, It's that profound what Peter does. So... In this story, I'll give you just a little bit of background. Uh, Jesus has just spent the day preaching, and and the disciples have helped him, and they have just fed thousands of people. And they are exhausted. They're tired. But Jesus wants to spend a little time in prayer. So he says to his disciples, take a boat, go across the lake, I'll meet you later. And he goes and he prays. And I don't know what the disciples thought. Like, I don't know how they thought Jesus was going to get to them. 
But this is kind of where we pick up in the story. In verse 24, it starts, Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. As adults, when we read this story, we have a tendency, our kind of takeaway from this story is at the very end when Jesus says, you had so little faith, why did you doubt me? And our takeaway is we need to have big faith, we need to believe fully in Jesus, which is certainly a valuable lesson. But what I think is funny is when you read this story to kids, they have a very different perception of what happened. We have four kids, they're nine, seven, five, and two, and we, from the moment they were born, have been praying over them and reading them Bible stories and praying over them. We want them to know the Lord. We want, him to, we want them to know his heart for them. And so when we read this story and, and they get to the part where Jesus is walking on the water, they think it's cool that Jesus is walking on the water, but they're not surprised by that because their whole life they have been being told and they believe that God is the God of the impossible. Nothing is impossible for him. So it's not a shock to them that Jesus is able to walk on the water. Of course he can. He's God's son. He can do anything. What really impresses them is that Peter, just this ordinary friend of Jesus, just like they're a friend of Jesus, because Jesus is there, he's able to walk on the water. They're not uh, warned by how little faith Peter had. They're impressed by what a little faith with Jesus can do. And I think that, that we can learn a lot from Peter's example, even though clearly he doesn't do it perfectly. We can learn a lot from Peter's example about what we can do in these trust and obey moments. Before we get to our tidy four points in our sermon, I think we have to grasp one really foundational truth for the rest of this to make sense. And it happens in verse 27. And Jesus does something that I think is really key for Peter to be able to walk on the water, but it's also very key for us in these trust and obey moments. Before Peter is ever invited to walk on the water, Jesus says to him, I am here. He assures Peter of his presence. And that's kind of our foundational truth. We have to stand on this today if the rest of this is going to make sense. God's presence matters. Without Jesus' presence that night, Peter never would have been able to do any of that. And God not only promises Peter his presence in these moments and in Peter's life, but he gives us a promise of his presence for our life. In fact, God's presence is so important that in order for him, 
for, for us to be reconciled to him, he sent his son in human form to be present on the earth. We can't even have a relationship without God until he gave us his physical presence. That's how he made a way for us. And so his presence matters because it's powerful and it enables us to do things that we couldn't otherwise do. Remember Jesus, like our kids know Jesus. He makes the impossible possible. His presence matters. Psalm 16, 8 through 11 just gives us a really brief glimpse of some of the things we can expect when we have God's presence. He says, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken. He is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. And I don't know about you, but when I'm about to embark on one of these trust and obey moments, when God is asking me to take a step outside of a boat and do something that seems kind of crazy, I need the assurance of these things, that I'm standing on a firm foundation, that he's going to show me the way to go, that this will be joyful to me and not a burden to me. Because God's presence matters. So now we get into our tidy four points of the sermon, in case you thought I was never going to get there. <laughs> After being assured of God's presence, that's when Peter is able to do this incredible thing. And it says he climbs out of the boat and he began to walk on water. There aren't really any details there. It's, it seems as though Peter gets one thing right this day, and this is kind of our first point. Like Peter, we need to follow with an obedient heart. Peter doesn't hesitate to do what Jesus asked him to do. He doesn't say, okay, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to walk on water. And then Jesus says, yeah, walk on the water with me. And then what I would do is I would turn to the other disciples and be like, okay, listen, I asked God if he wanted me to walk on the water. He said, yes, walk with me on the water. Do you think he means to walk on the water? I would have to dissect it every way. I would have to just, I would make it way too complicated. But Peter doesn't do that. He just gets out of the boat. He follows with an obedient heart. And obedience, even though we try to make it really complicated, it's actually really simple. If you have kids, you know this. Because inevitably, when my kids come home from school and their coats and their backpacks and their shoes end up on the floor where they don't belong, and I say to them, go put your stuff away where it belongs, their obedience becomes very clear to me. If they put that stuff away, they have obeyed. If they haven't, they have disobeyed. We're very clear when people are not obeying us. <laughs> because it's very easy to see, did they do it or did they not do it? And the same is true with Jesus. When we obey him, we simply do what he tells us to do. It's really that simple. When Noah is told to build an ark, he looks like a Looney Tune, but he does it anyway. And God blesses his obedience. When Joshua it gets to Jericho, and it would seem like they just needed to blaze into battle, God says, no, I want you to march around the city. And even though it doesn't really make sense, he begins marching around the city, and God blesses his obedience. When an angel appears to Mary, 
and says, I want you to have God's son. I want you to give birth to him, even though you're a virgin and you're unmarried. She agrees to do what God says, and God blesses her obedience. Our obedience can be blessed by God, but we have to be willing to follow with an obedient heart. So Peter, he gets out of the boat, and he's walking on the water, and we're all like, whoa, that's awesome. And when I read this story, I have a tendency, I want to, like, justify the reason that Peter can do this. Like, in my mind, I'm like, well, of course he can. He's a disciple. He's, like, one of the chosen ones. He gets to do special things. But the reality is the reason that Peter is able to walk on the water is because in a step of faith, he gets out of the boat. And this is the second thing I think we learn from Peter's example is that our faith unleashes the supernatural. Peter doesn't experience the supernatural power of God until he puts his faith into action. And our obedience is often going to require us to put some action behind it. And for many of us, this is the difficult part. Because if you're like me, you want a step-by-step guide. You want a blueprint. You want a YouTube tutorial that tells you how this is going to go. Unfortunately, that's not typically how God works in my life. Usually he says, obey me and I will meet you there and I'm going to show you the impossible becomes possible. But we have to put our faith into action. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, there's a whole list of people who have put their faith into action. They followed God with an obedient heart. And in so many of these stories, we see God through their faith unleashing the supernatural power. But Hebrews eleven six 6 says, it is impossible to please God without faith. And if you read further in scripture, James says, faith without action is virtually useless. Our faith requires some action behind it. And when we put our faith into action, that's when God unleashes the supernatural. That's when we see him make the impossible possible. I told you that over the past year, God has led us on this journey that has required us to trust God and obey him in ways that we've never been required to do before. And we've, we've entered, as we've shared with you before, this journey. Uh, we've, we feel like God has led our family to adopt a child, which to us felt a little crazy because we have four kids and our house is full and it's noisy and it's chaotic. But we felt like God was asking us to do this. But one of the biggest moments for us of, of trust and obedience is as we began to look at what adoption would require of us, it's a legal process and it requires a lot of money. And as we looked at our bank account, we were like, this, this doesn't make sense for us to do. And so we said, Lord, this seems like a pretty big obstacle. If you want us to do this, like you're going to have to do something big. And, and we felt like he was still saying, go, do it. And so we, we kept going and, and we're waiting for God to continue it, to do incredible things. And he has. And in one moment, we had a fundraiser planned, a garage sale. And we had had friends and family and strangers praying for a successful fundraiser for us. And we'd had tons of people generously donate items for this garage sale to the point where we had like a path through our downstairs to get around all of the stuff. My sister-in-law is laughing because she saw it. It was a ridiculous amount of stuff. It looked like the back storage room of a Goodwill. And we went to bed that night and we were just so hopeful 
for how God was going to do this incredible thing at this garage sale. And I woke up early the next morning, and I do have a tendency to be a little dramatic at times, but I promise you, I'm not being a tiny bit dramatic when I say I looked out the window, and it was a torrential downpour. And the size of the puddles in our backyard were evidence that it was heavy rains the entire night. And I had this moment of like, God, why would you do this? Like, how could you? We've been praying and we are trying to follow you and we are doing what you've asked us to do. And then somehow I had just one tiny sliver of just like clarity. And I took a deep breath and I said, okay, God, we believe that this is what you've called us to do. We're trying to follow you obediently. You're going to have to do something big here. And so I went downstairs, and my parents were there, and my dad was looking at the radar. He totally geeks out over this stuff. And so he's looking at it. He's like, Autumn, it's supposed to rain for hours, and it's going to be a really cruddy day. And I said, well, let's just start getting ready. Like, let's just see what we can do. And so we went out there, and we began putting stuff together. But we reached a point where it was like, we're going to have to go outside. We cannot keep it all in our garage. And so as we began to set up some tables outside, we noticed that the rain was not nearly as heavy as when we first had gone out. And we said, okay, God, we're going to start putting some stuff out here. And it was stuff that hopefully we could just wipe down. It wouldn't ruin it. And we noticed that the rain was just kind of a sprinkle. And we said, okay, God, like we have to put some other items out. And as we put those items out, it was just kind of spitting. And then it was like, okay, God, we have some furniture and electronics that we are going to put out here. Like it's not going to be good if it keeps raining. I am not exaggerating when I said we began taking the stuff to the driveway and the rain just stopped. And within an hour, the clouds, yeah, it was incredible. You should clap. It was awesome. The clouds cleared and the sun came out and we had this beautiful day and this incredibly successful fundraiser. And some people will say, oh, forecasters get it wrong all the time. The rain was probably supposed to clear off. And you can say that if you want. But I firmly believe that because we were following in obedience and we stepped out in faith, God unleashed the supernatural. He did what we couldn't do on our behalf. Our faith unleashes the supernatural. As we keep going in the story, this is the part of the story that we're all familiar with. <laughs> in verse 30, Peter, he briefly takes his eyes off Jesus and he sees the storm around him, and he's terrified. And in his fear, he begins to sink. And this is our third point this morning. What we can learn from Peter is that our fear and our lack of focus will sink our faith. When Peter had his eyes on Jesus, he was walking on the water. When Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, that's when he knew he was going straight to the bottom of the lake. It was the circumstances around him that began to stir up that fear within him. And we just we just talked about faith is a powerful thing. But faith it is also a very deliberate action. It requires focus. We cannot half-heartedly have faith in something. We have to be fully focused on Jesus. And when he calls us into these trust and obey moments, we step out of the boat and, and we see him and we're doing what he's asked us to do. We have often this, this moment where we, we kind of look to our left and to our right and suddenly we see why we are unqualified, why we are incapable, why our circumstances say this isn't a good choice, this doesn't seem logical. 
And in that moment, instead of fear, or excuse me, instead of faith, it is replaced with fear, and our fear will sink us every single time. The funny thing is, when Peter took a step out of the boat, that storm was still there. Those wind and the, the waves that scared him in that moment, they were there the entire time. The difference was he wasn't looking at the one who makes the impossible possible. Isaiah 28.6.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. When we keep our eyes on Jesus, our faith is strengthened. We're reminded of his presence, and in his presence, we're reminded that we can do anything that he's asked us to do. But the second that we take our eyes off of him, our lack of focus gives way to fear, and it will sink our faith every single time. As Peter is sinking, he knows, <laughs> if no one saves me, I'm going to die on the bottom of this lake. And so he cries out to Jesus. And Jesus immediately, it says, reaches out to him. Now, when my kids are jacking around and, and acting kind of loony, I want to use when they get hurt or make a mistake, I want to use them as an example for the others for how they should not behave. And if I were Jesus in that moment, I probably would have hollered over to the boat and said, do you see your friend Peter here? He's not doing it correctly. I would have wanted to make an object lesson out of him. But Jesus, he doesn't hesitate. He doesn't even make Peter beg to be rescued. He just reaches out, he pulls him out of the water, and he gets him to safety. And even though Peter, he experiences this epic fail, just two chapters later, in the book of Matthew, just a page and a half in your Bible, even though he's failed so big, even though he's messed it up, Jesus speaks these amazing life-giving words over Peter. And he says this in Matthew 16, 18. Now, just a little background. Peter's name is Simon Peter. So this will make a little more sense as we read. Now I say to you that you are Peter. He's saying you are simply Peter now. This is your name, Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, upon Peter, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And this is our, our fourth and kind of final point this morning is just like Peter, our failure does not disqualify. My mom loves to tell the story of my first day of kindergarten. And I don't know if you guys have these stories in your house or your family where every time you get together, the story is repeated. And if you are the victim of that story, you roll your eyes and you beg people to stop telling the story. This is one of those stories in our family. So I was ready for my first day of kindergarten, and I'm sure I had my brand new tennis shoes on and my cute little backpack. And I was so excited to go to school, and my mom dropped me off. And she couldn't wait for me to get home to tell her about this day that I had just been waiting for and I was so excited for. She said, no sooner had I walked through the front door that I crumpled on the floor. And she said, I just began wailing, like uncontrollable sobbing. And of course, I am the firstborn, the precious one. And it was their first time launching one of their children into the world to have an experience kind of that they didn't have control over. 
And so if you're a parent, you know, in those moments, your mind kind of can go to some dark places about what obviously happened to your precious child. And she finally got me calmed down and she said, please just tell me what happened. And I finally was able to tell her that this awful, tragic thing that happened to me on my very first day of kindergarten that had ruined all of kindergarten and the rest of my academic career was that I had to use an eraser. And we can laugh because we know how silly that is. We would never send our five-year-old into the world and expect them to never make a mistake. And we know that if they make a mistake or even if they failed, it's not going to hold them back from success for the rest of their life. And yet so many times as believers, we mess something up, we fail, we blatantly choose sin over following Jesus, and we think somehow in our minds that that means God is no longer able to use us. We think that God just thinks of us as kind of useless. Oh, they messed it up. I can't. I'm done with them. And he keeps going on, and we just have to wait on the sidelines until we get to heaven. But just like Peter, his failure did not disqualify him. Your failure does not disqualify you. God wants to use you. In fact, when you read about Peter in scripture, he's a really ordinary, uneducated fisherman. And according to scripture, he has kind of a big mouth. He says stupid things all the time. And Jesus speaks these amazing, powerful words over him. And even after that, Peter messes up again and again and again. But if you keep reading, you get to the book of Acts. And Jesus, he's going to heaven. And at Pentecost, he sends down his Holy Spirit. And they're speaking in tongues in different languages. And in this powerful moment... It's Peter who steps forward, and he boldly preaches the gospel message. And it says 3,000 people came to know the Lord that day. Peter's failure did not disqualify him. And if you go on, Peter is this, he's one of the foremost leaders of the early church. He's one of the first to take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles, the outsiders, the people who didn't deserve this gospel message. And the church grows and it expands and it continues to grow. And here we are today. Your failure does not disqualify you. God wants to use your story. And I believe that even those moments where we failed, God is going to use those in a purposeful way. Finally, as they get back into the boat and the wind stops, it says the disciples begin to worship. Because in this moment of trust and obey, even though he didn't do it perfectly, God revealed himself in a brand new way to the disciples. They finally could see Jesus for who he really was. And in these trust and obey moments, we know that God, he wants to use our life and he's, he's bringing purpose out of our life. But in these moments, he's also revealing himself in ways that he never has before. We feel his presence like we never have before. We understand him in new ways and deeper and richer ways and our faith is strengthened and our relationship with him is more intimate. God wants to reveal himself in new ways. And when we follow him in these trust and obey moments, he will do just that. As we wrap up this morning, <laughs> I was reminded of a, a time in college. Every I went to a Christian college, and, and every winter for about a week, they would suspend all classes, 
and we were required to attend a conference where they would invite missionaries from all over the world to come speak to us. And I remember one man in particular, I remember zero details of his story. I have no idea where he served or what he did, but he said something that day that, day that at 19 struck me so profoundly that has stuck with me to this day. And in these trust and obey moments, I remember it every time and it has rung true in my life. And he said this, I have never once made the decision to obey Jesus and regretted it. No regrets. But I have chosen not to obey Jesus and I have regretted it every single time. And I don't know what trust and obey moment God is bringing you to. I don't know if it's something big or if it's just a, a small moment of trust and obey. But I do know this, when we follow with an obedient heart, when we allow our faith to unleash the supernatural, when we keep our focus on Jesus, and even when we don't do it perfectly, we allow God to work through us, we will have zero regrets. I told you that we've, for almost a year, we've been walking this adoption journey, and, and through it all, we've had some, some bitter disappointments, and we've shed a lot of tears, and it's been scary, and as I'm describing it, it sounds like something you would never want to do. <laughs> and yet I would never trade these last nine months for anything, even if in the end, this doesn't work out the way that we kind of hope and think that it's supposed to work out, even if it doesn't look like that. I don't regret following Jesus down this, this path because we have felt his presence in ways that we've never experienced before because we have been brought to these points of trusting him in ways that we've never had to trust him, complete dependency on him, we have just experienced him in new and incredible ways. And not for one second would I trade that for anything. I have zero regrets. And I, I, I firmly believe that if whatever moment God is leading you to, you choose to trust and obey him, you will have zero regrets as well. And then there may be some of you who are sitting here this morning and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. You, you say, I, 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 I feel God's presence. I, I think he's calling to me. The funny thing about a relationship with Jesus is it's kind of our first step out of the boat. It's kind of our first trust and obey moment because we can believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he came to the earth as a son of God, that he lived this perfect life as an example for us, that he willingly gave his life on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. He took the punishment that we deserved. He died and on the third day he was raised from the dead and he could proclaim victory over death and sin. And through him, we can have a relationship with God and the promise of heaven. And if that's you today, if you're saying, I, I need that relationship with Jesus, I've never taken the first step out of the boat. I have good news for you, it's super easy. God removes all obstacles to get to him. He says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you will be saved. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today, if this is your step out of the boat moment to enter a relationship with Jesus, would you just raise your hand? We just wanna pray with you this morning. We wanna lead you into that relationship with Jesus. I'm gonna say a prayer, if that's you this morning, you can just say that prayer to yourself in your heart. Lord, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you that you made a way for me to have a relationship with you. 
that I could spend eternity in heaven with you. And Lord, I confess that I have sinned, that I have messed up time and again. And Lord, I need your forgiveness. Lord, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, that he took them to the grave, Lord, and when he rose again, I could have a brand new relationship with you. And then for those of you who are just on the cusp of a trust and obey moment, God is asking you to step out of the boat. I just want to pray over you uh, quickly, just to have the courage and the boldness to do what God has asked you to do. Lord, I just pray over each person who is here today. Lord, you call us to, to different trust and obey moments, Lord, sometimes in, in small ways, sometimes in huge, scary ways. And Lord, I know that all of those ways are represented here today. Father, I pray that you would give your children just boldness and courage to step outside of the boat. Lord, that they would be assured of your presence. And through your presence, Lord, we can do anything you've called us to do, no matter how difficult, no matter how hard. Lord, just fill them with your spirit this week. Make them aware of these trust and obey moments. And Lord, reveal yourself in new, exciting ways to them. Lord, it's in your name we pray.